Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Thursday, March the 10th. In this week's podcast, we're discussing gun laws in the United States, specifically which gun laws could reduce rates of mortality from firearms use in the United States. Earlier, I spoke to one of the authors of the study. Thank you, Richard. My name is Bindu Kalisan. I'm an assistant professor of medicine at Boston University School of Medicine, and I'm also the director of the Center for Clinical Translational Medicine and Comparative Effectiveness Research at the university. Before we go into details of this paper, can you just put some numbers on firearm-related mortality in the United States? How big a problem is it? Gun violence in the U.S. is a major public health issue. Every day, 323 people are shot in this country. 92 are shot dead and 231 will survive after being shot. Since the turn of the 21st century, gun death rates in the U.S. have remained steady, but very high at around 10 per 100,000, achieving an endemic state. So in other injuries like motor vehicle accidents, only 2 to 5% will die of the injuries, while among those who are injured by a gun, 30% will die, and the rest, 70%, will experience severe health-related consequences such as repeated hospitalizations, debilitating disabilities, and reduced quality of life. So in 2014 alone, there were 33,599 gun deaths, of which 64% were suicides and 34% were assault-related. Although the national gun death rates have plateaued, each state has its unique gun violence profile. For example, the gun death rates were lowest in Hawaii and Rhode Island at 2.69 and 2.97 per 100,000 while the highest rates were in Louisiana and Mississippi at 18.96 and 18.29 per 100,000. In policy terms, has there been anything done that has been remotely effective in trying to combat this public health tragedy that gun mortality is in the United States? We hear that President Obama is trying to address the problem, but the gun lobby and politically, it's a very difficult issue, isn't it, to move on? Has there been any progress at all recently? Well, the answer is yes and no, and that's because it's complicated. So gun violence in the U.S. is not a unidimensional issue. It is actually a multifaceted problem, primarily due to the several laws which are both restrictive and permissive gun policies implemented both at the federal level and at the state levels. So the most relevant federal level law is the Brady's Law or the Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act, which requires that background checks be conducted on individuals before a firearm purchase from a federally licensed dealer, manufacturer, or importer. Therefore, this law applies to licensed dealers alone. Now, majority of the transactions occur among unlicensed sellers and pawn shops. On the other hand, states also implement gun laws, and it could be either restrictive or permissive. So restrictive laws aim to fill the gaps of the Brady Law, such as implementing child access prevention laws. Now, permissive laws could further deregulate, such as the Sandia Ground Law, which removes the duty to retreat when faced with a perceivable threat. Another being allowing open carry, as in Texas, which will allow guns everywhere, including schools and campuses. Additionally, there are state reciprocity laws, which are seldom discussed, and that will allow or disallow concealed carry permits issued from another state. Theoretically, in the event of a constitutional concealed carry reciprocity act, carrying guns across states will be similar to driver's licenses. So it is important to note that each state will conduct background checks in different ways. And such laws will allow buying a gun in a state with lax 
or no background check law to mm. states with strict background check laws. In terms of research, what type of research has been done in this field? And go on and tell us the aims of your research program that we're publishing. Some preliminary evidence exists regarding the cumulative effectiveness of gun laws. And it was done using an arbitrary legislative strength score put forth by the Brady Center that has shown that restrictive gun laws are associated with reduced gun death rates. In our study, we extended the existing evidence to determine the independent effect of each gun law when considered together as 25 different gun laws using state-specific gun deaths and after controlling for gun ownership, non-gun death homicides, employment, and gun export rates. Go on and tell us about the methodology of your study because there are sort of two aspects really, aren't there, to your study? So our main exposure of interest were 25 gun laws in 50 states in the U.S. in the year 2009. These gun laws could be categorized under dealer regulation laws, owner regulation laws, child access prevention laws, background check laws, ban on specific weapons, and public place restriction laws. Now, we obtained counts of gun deaths and the total population in 2008, 2009, and 2010 from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC's, publicly available web-based injury statistics query and reporting system, or WHISKERS, which is an interactive online database that provides fatal and non-fatal injury, violent death, and cost of injury data from a variety of sources. Other state-specific variables were also obtained from several sources, including from our own study on gun ownership. The covariates we used were gun ownership, non-gun death homicides, employment, and gun export rates. We then performed a cross-sectional state-level analysis to assess the effect of different gun laws on gun deaths in the U.S. We also assessed the potential impact of federal-level implementation of the three most effective gun laws with respect to reduction in gun deaths and the specific laws that may reduce gun homicides and gun suicides separately. The findings, this is what we want to focus on, the findings and their implications. Broadly speaking, the findings, well, they appear very mixed. A combination of some laws being effective and some laws not being effective. Is that right? Yes. So primarily, we found out that out of the 25 gun laws, nine gun laws were effective. So the nine effective gun laws were requiring state license to sell guns, requiring the dealers to keep and retain sales records, requiring the dealership to have at least one store security precaution, requiring firearm identification by ballistic fingerprinting and or microstamping, requiring gun owners to report lost or stolen guns, requiring universal background checks for purchase of all firearms, requiring safety training or testing prior to purchase of a gun, requiring law enforcement involvement in obtaining of gun permits and requiring background checks for ammunition purchase. The results of the rest of the gun laws were either ineffective or inconclusive. Our study also showed that stand-your-ground law, which is a permissive law, is associated with an increase in gun death rate. Among the nine effective laws that I mentioned before, three laws were most strongly associated with reduced gun death rates. And they were universal background checks for firearm purchase, universal background checks for ammunition purchase, and the laws requiring firearm identification.
We show that federal-level implementation of these three laws would substantially reduce overall national gun deaths. The law associated with reduction in gun suicides was firearm identification, while the three laws of universal background checks for firearm purchase, universal background checks for ammunition purchase, and requiring firearm identification were found to be also associated specifically with reduction in assault or homicide gun deaths. These findings underscore the importance of relevant and effective gun laws, and particularly the potential impact of national-level implementation of background checks to reduce gun deaths. Thank you. Now, can you put some data on those three laws that are most effective? The key message of the study is that comprehensive background checks, if implemented on a national level, will reduce gun deaths. Using the data we collected and the model we developed in the study, we predicted the potential change in national gun death rates with the federal level implementation of all of these three effective laws. We found that implementing universal background checks for firearm purchase alone has a potential to bring down gun death rates by 57%. Just to be clear then, if gun purchasing was done with background checks across the state, at a, at a federal level across, for all states, a 5-7% more than the halving of gun-related mortality. Specifically from 10.35 to 4.46 per 100,000. With the implementation of background checks for ammunition, a much larger reduction of 83% in gun death rate may be potentially achieved. This is particularly important considering that there are as many guns as there are residents in this country. In addition, Background check laws have the potential to effectively reduce homicide gun deaths. We also believe that the real-world effect of implementing comprehensive background checks for gun purchase and ammunition purchase will be long-term to achieve the intended reduction in gun death rates. We need to emphasize some limitations of the study and the comment that's published alongside your paper which comes from um, Harvard School of Public Health does point to some of these specifically the fact that obviously what you're not able to do in your study is is compare mortality before and after changes in legislation. Do you want to comment on, on the potential weaknesses of the study? There are limitations that should be considered. Primarily we use a section of gun deaths data from 2008, 2009 and 2010. We also used gun laws from only 2009. The reason is the inherent complexity of the multiple gun laws implemented in different states in different ways. Furthermore, the implementation of a new gun law could be done either as an amendment or as a new legislation, which in turn could replace or nullify an existing gun law. This dynamic state of multiple laws makes it very difficult to obtain annual changes quantitatively and equally between different states. This is the reason why we chose only one year of gun laws, which is year 2009, and two years of firearm fatality rates, or gun death rates, from 2009 and 2010. Since we used only a slice of data, we restricted the study to specific covariates and did not use a large number of social variables that may also pose some statistical issues such as multicollinearity. Another limitation is that we did not use availability of suicide prevention programs as a covariate that might also create some residual confounding. Where next for research? Where next for policy? Going back to the context again, how do you want to see this paper? How, how do you want to see it picked up? How do you see it contributing to the, to the debate and hopefully the reform of gun legislation in the United States? 
for this, we need to have a retrospective view here. So the first impactful gun violence research was by Dr. Arthur Kellerman, and it resulted in NRA lobby flexing its muscles to defund and disengage the CDC from gun violence research in the mid-90s. Dr. Kellerman's research found that household gun ownership increases the risk of death in the household. This cessation of gun research had dire consequences. So good policies are driven by good quality scientific evidence. We need resources and funding to provide good quality scientific evidence, which will then result in effective laws. In this case, there should also be a public sentiment and will to fix the public health problem we are facing as a country. We also need to educate the communities regarding the actual impact of gun violence and the destructive potential to families and communities. Gun rights are an integral part of the country and its history. However, it is also possible without infringing on gun rights as a country to pass effective gun laws to prevent these senseless acts of violence. Of course, that will mean moving beyond NRA lobbying powers to implement policies that will save lives. So I remain optimistic because as a country, there's a precedent set with tobacco lobby. Public health community successfully provided evidence and then combated the lobbying efforts to reduce the ill effects of smoking. And it was not done in a day. We're in 2016. There's a, an election happening in the United States. Let's not debate that right now. But there's going to be a change of government anyway. And the political timetable for these things, as well as the, the timetable for getting the research, the evidence base that you need. We're talking years, aren't we? That is correct. So, you know, just picking up from where we left off with the tobacco lobby, it was a structured, persistent effort that educated people on harmful effects of tobacco, along with developing community interventions specific to communities that were integral parts of the process. We can adopt the same process, the research and societal change combined with the political will to fix the problem we have at hand finally will win. Therefore, we are going to continue our path to provide quality scientific evidence and effective ways to reduce gun violence. Well, that sounds fantastic. And Bindu Kalasan on the line from Boston University. I think we're going to be talking again in the future because this topic is not going away. We want to keep it on the public health agenda. But in the meantime, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet and good luck with your ongoing work in this field. Thank you, Richard. Thanks a lot.